0: In this episode of the Flicklap International Film Podcast, the two Finnish hosts Kari and Henrik will discuss the movies they've watched recently, ranging from several Tom Cruise movies to a Japanese Oscar winner to even Walt Disney's Snow White. You won't believe the movies we will recommend to you, because let's just say that it's gonna get wild out here. We'll be right back after this intro. Welcome to The Flick Lab, the podcast that just refuses to die. (laughs) This podcast focuses on international film, and in the podcast we like to deep dive into such films and bring in special guests or experts from a given field. So far we have had directors, producers, film professors and writers from around the world to join us. But welcome to The Flick Lab, I'm Corrie. I do indeed bear the unfortunate title of media assistant, and I haven't done done much with those papers. Currently working in IT in the Philippines, so good going. (laughs) (laughs) My co-host is a legend, he's Henrik, studies master of artsiness at the University of Lapland, and we both come from the home of Santa Claus, Finland. Yeah, we're probably the only international cinema podcast made in Finland, and there may be a good reason for that. Mm-hmm. You will hear some accents in this podcast if you haven't noticed. With all that taken into consideration, thank you for tuning in. We are grateful that you're here.
1: Well, to be honest, you will hear some accents also if if you follow some I don't know a British film podcast or American film podcast. Everybody seems to be weirdly okay with those accents,
0: or we could try to learn the Scottish accent for this podcast. Yeah, I've been trying to miserably learn some Scottish accent on my days off, and uh, maybe let's not try that. And the question is, why or why? I dig the accent. I think it's amazing. Okay, okay. We're just now returning from the break, dear listeners. So what's actually the topic of the of the whole episode?
1: Yeah, so to, to soothe in our return back from, from the break, Today's episode is going to be once again one of those catch-up things that we have done once before and it went relatively okay the last time we did it, so we are kind of rehashing that that old thing now. And today it's going to be rapid fire reviews for a whole bunch of stuff that we have been watching well during our break and around rapid fire my ass, but let's try. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) this time we are going to keep it short and sweet and then it just kind of tumble out of our control and the (laughs) overall episode length is something like 7 plus
0: hours. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, I guess it's my time to start because you started the last time around. So, talking of films that we did manage to watch let's start with mine. It's Departures or Okuribito. It's a Japanese film. Uh, about a newly unemployed cellist that takes the job of preparing the dead for funerals. Well, unfortunately, Departures is it's, it's so implausibly convenient and predictable that it feels like some kind of a parody of Hollywood and the Academy uh, and the films they pick as winners, notch nudge. Any merits that the film might have, they sadly are being tracked down drastically because of the film's clichés. The the film is just so absurdly clichéd in a way that everything is so predictable. There's just too many convenient moments that just completely kill a pretty good idea for a film, a film that I was frankly enjoying for, let's say, 30 minutes. It feels like it's like begging from the audience, or the you know the Academy Awards board, please give me the best international film Academy Award this year, which indeed it did get. And uh, would I recommend it? No.
1: <laughs> more or less, well, like ever since starting to do this, uh, do the podcast, like American cinema has become my comfort food that I consume. <laughs> When we are outside of the podcast episodes,
0: well, I was looking at your list and I was like, "Yeah, this guy consumes a lot of American cinema."
1: Aha. Uh-huh. and speaking of consuming, that's something that I consume even more than American cinema. But to to stick with the theme of of American cinema, the first thing on my list is The Green Knight, which is a twenty four production. It's, it's David Lowry's like the latest film up until date. His, his next one is in post-production but hasn't come out yet. And Lowry is a director that I have been aware of for quite some time. But I never actually watched anything from him. He, he made that, that live action adaptation of, of the Disney anime classic Peach Dragon and then then he made co story which a uh, ghost story which is a drama film that absolutely everybody has has been recommending to me but I haven't yet checked it out also made the old man and the gun which came out in in Finland and I haven't seen that one either and now the latest one he's doing is once again another adaptation or some type of an adaptation sequel remake whatever you have you live action version of of Disneys animated classic it's it's called Peter Pan and Bendy and most likely some type type of Peter Pan thing and I have absolutely no interest in seeing that one but the Green Night is is something that kind of piqued my radar when it came out in in cinemas in Finland by the trailers it it looked really interesting just now lately have been watching it from streaming and yeah, it was pretty good. But the film is based on one of, one of those short, heroic knightly fables. This one is, is Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. And Sir Gawain is kind of interesting interesting character in the Arthurian knightly fables. In in the sense that, in my opinion, he, he is someone who has gone through kind of a character shift. Or, or a shift in a way how he, he is being portrayed. in in the fables. Gawain started off as as one of the the good, honest, exemplary knights on on Arthurian's round table in the first tales. But then as more tales started to come out, Gawain's role in them kind of changed and he he turned more into a bad guy. I haven't read the the original fable, but what I've understood from the plot synopsis, uh, the film stays pretty true to to how the story goes like the the original the the old knightly fables first of all they are extremely short but they tend to be kind of a short moral tales be virtuous be generous be honest be brave yeah the trailers kind of promise you this amazing action adventure and it's not not that by the title "Green Knight," you might think about you know what you usually get in in me- medieval fantasy films, like huge fight scenes, etc., etc. Those are not in in here. It's it's a very tight, very small movie. But overall, I I do think it's it's pretty good. It's not necessarily the best night film I've ever seen, but it's it's a good take on on um. Arthurian Fable, it has some good effect work, some not so stellar, but an enjoyable tale. So yeah, recommendation.
0: Okay, if you want some action, I've got some Top Gun for you. The 1986 film, the original. Well, here we, here we have the young Tom Cruise. There's a lot of issues. The problem is rather following the film, the kind of shot-to-shot action, because the the flight shots have a lot of unclarity to them. You have these cockpit shots, and they are combined with aerial footage, and they do not seem to match in a really cohesive way. And oftentimes you're just wondering, okay, okay, who moved past who, and who is on the side, who's on the left, and what's going on? And also, plot-wise, there's a lot of focus for this Kind of random training missions that they have. From the get-go, we are not sure what's about to go down, unlike in the sequel. Yeah, it gradually builds up to something, but just the coalescing of everything. The plot elements, the girl story possibly not being so interesting, there's just too much of this training stuff, and you're asking your, from yourself, at least I'm asking throughout watching this movie, what's the film's focus? What are we building up to? Then there is that, you know, military prowess, show off. It might not be everyone's cup of tea. The first time when I was watching this, many, many several years ago, I thought that this was, like, I don't know, who 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 made this and for what reason? Why am I watching this film? I would say that if you're looking for a ...good Top Gun film, then that, that, that would go for the sequel, The Maverick, which I'm gonna talk about shortly, but uh, that's the one that gets a lot of green light from me, shockingly, because I was I came into Top Gun Maverick with zero expectation, I thought I, I, thought I was gonna hate the movie, it's gonna be the same thing as with Top Gun, but it was just, just a whole different story, but we'll get to that, and Top Gun, by the way, no recommendation...
1: Okay, not not a huge surprise because I also never have liked Top Gun. Okay, yeah, mostly boring I, film in my opinion, but for some reason it's held up in some some cult reverence.
0: Yeah, might be something more about the the, the American culture, uh, the thing about Air Force. Everybody seems to be crazy about Air Force grow, growing up. Perhaps we're missing something here. Uh, yeah, it's just not not for me. I think it's just a kind of a bad movie.
1: Yeah, I usually just felt that it's boring movie.
0: It's a boring movie. Right. There.
1: Well, talking about something that that could have been boring but was not in the end, I checked out Glass Onion: The Knives Out Tale, which is the newest from Ryan Johnson, the the director of everybody's absolutely favorite Star Wars sequel ever made. Or at least it should be. Goddamn. Last Jedi was something like best Star Wars in, in years. But everybody else got their panties in a bunch over it. Brian Johnson basically was condemned to be burned at the stake. Until he made Knives Out and everybody magically just forgave the dude. And now we are here and we have the sequel Knives
0: Out 2. I gotta say, I... I... Thought I wasn't the, the biggest fan I, uh, of the original movie. I'm...
1: Well, I kind of had the, the same experience with the first one. Like, okay. I liked it. I I felt it was was a good film. I did like the mm-hmm. performances, but I wasn't as blown away by it as perhaps everybody else at least claimed to be. Like to me, it was okay film. It was recommendable film. But at the same time, like, I I didn't get this whoa experience. Mm. And I also didn't get that experience with the sequel, which, you know, taking, uh, depending on kind of your mileage with the first one, you may like this more, you may like it, like this less. less. In in structure-wise, this is kind of similar to to the original one. You have the big opening mystery, and then you have an ensemble cast of, of characters. They are caricatures of, of different type of modern media personas here, perhaps even more so than they were like in, in the first one.
0: I heard something that, it, that they changed the format quite a bit, and some people didn't like it. Could you tell us also about that?
1: To, to be honest, in my opinion... Uh, that talks about the format change. Are kind of once again overblown here. In in the film's case, uh, there there is there is kind of a, like story structural differences. Overall, the the movie here is is perhaps even more jokey joke than than the first one was, and it it relies a lot on like a crucial plot twist here that basically plays into or is is given to you in a form of extremely long flashback. So there there are there are noticeable structural changes to the format, but at the same time I don't think that they are as drastic and like as as impactful than you might actually think. Hmm. In many ways it's it's more comedic take on, on the mystery genre, than, than the first one, perhaps was my, my my feelings are that the first one was more darker and mm. more serious. It's a film that Ryan Johnson famously wrote when he was under COVID lockdown, and it's uh, it, it's a film that that was, was written and entered the production before the whole Elon Musk Twitter buyout thing happened, which is fun. And funny because eventually what, what Glass Onion is all about, it's about picking fun and exposing like, like these, these famous rich media mogul personas of famous rich persons like Elon Musk and Steve Jobs and, and Mark Zuckerberg and Bill Gates of the world as complete fucking idiots who just are clueless and whose, whose whole power is in the public persona that they have given out. out. Mm. And it is a... It's a it's a interesting in in the sense that like I I think that it's a good message. It could have been kind of a revolution, uh, well not revolutionary, but kind of an eye opening message. Even without the Elon Musk shit, but especially with the Elon Musk Twitter thing happening, uh, this is the movie that, in my opinion, will have a chance of becoming like like the film that calls out Elon Musk and and other 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 assholes. So that might be Glass Onion's legacy, but yeah, it's a good lighthearted mystery fun, and I do recommend it.
0: All right.
1: And to follow it up with something else, uh, b- but, but not completely different, another mystery feature. This from 2020, it's The Kid Detective.
0: <laughs> this can which... only go wrong.
1: Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on the contrary, oh. actually, it it was absolutely, in my opinion, it it was great film. Huh. Oh. it's it, it's not necessarily like you no, know, not like Spike. It's three D. Uh, it's nothing like Spike. It's three D. <laughs> it's not necessarily a, a like a, like a masterpiece that will like like Casablanca. But I kind of felt that it was even better mystery film than what was Glass Onion, which remind you. Still gets a recommendation. Uh, the Kid Detective belongs in the now rising rising genre of, of children's fiction stories. Like you your Nancy Drews and and other sons like like you know the, the mystery series that you read as a child, like, like Enid Blytons and Nancy Drews. Mm. And they are now lately being reworked as more adult, more more serious, more CD versions, like Nancy Drew deals with drug problems and prostitution and stuff like that in in like modern stories, which are unofficial or they are they are like published as comic books or or you know other media than as Nancy Drew books. Mm. But it's kind of like reworking, kind of similar way, way like the the new animation show Velma. Basically, the kid detective is a certain type of meta take. Of that phenomena. The main hero here is Nancy Drew esque, child detective who has been, as a, as a kid, he has been the, the famous detective in, in his hometown, solving like this, this everyday mundane mysteries for the people and being super popular as the kid, as as this like detective child. And he has been claimed that he's a, he's a prodigy, etc., etc. Et, et. The film follows him as an adult who has never actually been able to make anything out of himself and who has never been able to escape his past image as a kid detective. Like, now, now he's a grown-ass man. Everybody else in his life has has gone forward to have, have families and, and jobs and, and he's still... Trying to do the detective stuff. But nobody anymore believes in him. And he doesn't get good cases. And like he's, he's just in downward spiral. And he's like despised failure in, in his town. And he lands his first murder case. <laughs> he kind of forces himself into it. And it's gonna be his big, big, uh, uh, like, get out of, uh, out of dump car. It, it's, it's a dark comedy... Take on him now, trying to serve, his, uh, solve his his m- first murder case, and it gets really dark by the end. We we have child abductions, pedophilia. We have what have you? Like it goes really seedy. It, it's it's kind of like like Brick or some of these contemporary film noir and neo noir films, where it matches. Quite well to balance with with the dark and and at times even disgusting like human evil and and still have have that funny, funny goofy side on it. It it works really well as a dark comedy. Okay. And I actually, you know, another recommendation for detective stuff.
0: Okay. It's been a good time off. Just just to finish the top gun top gun rambling here, so. I did finally get around to watching Top Gun Maverick, and a completely unexpected delight. It improves on all the sectors of the first one. The story is better, it is directly building up to something. Now there are still these trainings, but the trainings are building up for one thing and one thing only. The the third act, where they go on the mission which they have prepared for the entire running time, basically, of the, of, the, of the movie. And so, by the end, the audience knows what to expect, what should be happening, and what might unfortunately happen. People may die, things might go wrong. Everything builds up into this final, this nail-biting crescendo. Audience is at their freaking feet, and what makes this just so good is basically that they did most of it for real they 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 took extensive extensive training to be in those to be you know on the back seat but yeah you can just see how how all you know it's nothing nothing studio it's just a night and day difference you can feel the fear on the actors faces that the the excitement and uh how the how the there's all these G-forces on their face, and it's just wonderful to look at. And finally, we have a nice continuity between shots, the, the shots taken from the outside and inside. So it's so much easier to follow the action. Of course, you know, now we have computers, and some computer magic, obviously, was involved, especially in the last parts of the film. Uh, no problem. If anything, it seems to help the proceedings here. still, you can just feel and and be excited about the moments because there is something about just doing it for the for real and and you just are way more involved with the movie engaged and so absolutely a wholehearted recommendation this just came out of the bushes. And uh, yeah, if you have the chance to, to to watch it, then absolutely do. I hope you saw it in the theaters for the best experience. But watch Top Gun Maverick, absolutely.
1: It sounds like they finally managed to find some action into their Top, top Gun film.
0: <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. So, you are still about to watch it, or?
1: I'm still about to watch it. I wanted to see it in theaters, but I never got my, uh, get, got my ass up and into a theater seat.
0: Yeah, I can see why. But yeah, it's a completely different story than the first one. So I, I think you'll like it.
1: I have to give it a watch. For, for the next trick, I could actually pull off a double here. Okay. Because what I also watched on, on my break was X and Per, both written and directed by Ty West, who is one of the horror directors that I really quite like he he doesn't he he does mostly small smaller budget horror films which quite often seem to fl- kind of fly uh, under people's radars but he's a dude who produces constant quality in in horror genre and X is is kind of an interesting thing in, in the sense that it's kind of a, just a new franchise, a new IP that just just pops out. It's not like, you know, Hollywood studio tested and and planned, planned IP release like they usually these days always are. No, this is just, you know, Ty West and Mia Goth coming together and having an idea. We could actually st- ha- start this type of IP of horror films and then just getting on doing it. And the first one here to be released, but not the one I recommend you to check out first, is is X. Uh, it's a Schleser film that takes place in nineteen seventy nine. It's it's that golden period of of those sleazy, kind of cheaply made made porn films. <laughs> it follows a porn production that goes into a rents a farmhouse in a in a a kind of area, territory where porn productions are not really looked upon that fondly. So they kind of have to hide the fact that they are shooting porn. And well... Well to get into the bloody spoilers because there really is not that huge revelations to spoil everybody. It turns out that the old couple is really old. Like pushing 90 something couple that owns the farm that they from where they are they are staying for the shoot turns out that they are uh, homicidal maniacs or at least the the old lady is one and her huge hang-up is that she's so old and so not easy on the eyes that absolutely nobody wants to bang her and the decision that they land on is Basically, just go on and murder all the attractive young people. And Pearl was made directly after X. Like, they they shot X. And then they were like, this was such a fun shoot that how about we stay in New Zealand for two weeks more and make another horror film. And they made Pearl as a result. And Pearl is a sequel, prequel thing thingy for X. It, it follows, it's basically the character study on the, the main psycho lady from X. And Per takes place in, in 1980 the, the golden age of, of Hollywood, or the old time Hollywood. And in my opinion, from the two films it's even better than what X was. It's, it's more of a character study. I like the color scheme also more in, in Per. It it goes into that that old timey Hollywood Technicolor look, which I really liked. It, mm. it has those film noir, highly stylized title title ste- uh, texts. It's kind of less, I wouldn't say less violent, but it takes much slower time with its violence than what, what X did. But once once you know the the killing gets going, it gets going. But yeah, I I do think it's a it's a hell of a double feature. Watching Pur and X. I do recommend that. Like, to be a contrarian here. I actually do recommend that you check the Pur first. And X sh- second. That way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does spoil the main twist of X for you. The, the fact that the old lady is a, is a sick from her head. Psycho killer. But at the same time that's kind of a. If, if you didn't figure out that you know. schlasser fil- film has a schlasser killer you know. I can't fucking help you there. So I I do think that you don't lose anything. On on the contrary, you actually gain more by seeing Per first. But I do, I do recommend both of them. And I've heard rumors that they are now planning to do even a third film, which... I've heard rumors that it's going to to follow Mia Goth's character from X. And especially a highlight here to Mia Goth, who gives one hit. Hell for performance. Especially in per Like there's a long as what single take monologue from her where, where she goes through all the emotions from happy to teary to, to, you know, remorseful. And they don't cut away because they know what they had in, in their hands in that moment. So yeah, yeah, you know, glowing recommendations. Check out Ty West's newest.
0: Okay yeah. Mia God, I have no doubt that she's probably excellent there. I might just check this double feature in the order that you said and she's appeared also in two films that we've already talked about in this podcast, the Staggering Girl and and Suspiria playing Sarah there. So yeah, we... yeah,
1: so, so yeah, now that you mention it.
0: Let's let's talk about Pinocchio. <laughs> let's talk about Pinocchio. <laughs> which,
1: which one? Which one two Pinocchios came out?
0: On the same year, goddamn two. Haven't watched the Guillermo del Toro or Robert Zemeckis version, but I'm not sure if I should or what, but uh, I guess we'll get to that right after this one, because Pinocchio 1940. I watched Pinocchio 1940 because we're going through the, I guess, all the Disney main animated feature films (laughs) with my boyfriend, which we just started, so Pinocchio is one of them, the second film on the list of uh, Disney animated features. And uh, I think it holds up, and it still has that imaginative magic, like I saw it on the on the first go. I never actually saw it as a kid. I thought that it was a beautiful film, especially some really beautiful and iconic songs there. Surprise, surprise! Because one of those songs is part of the the whole Disney logo. At least it was still when I the last time I checked. But God knows what the hell is going on with Disney these days. But Yeah, that whole on the Disney logo, that's the song from Pinocchio, and I think it's a creative uh, film with iconic characters. It's completely bonkers, and uh, nothing makes sense, but it's kind of a great prelude of what was about to come Uh, that was Fantasia a couple of years after this one, the third film of Disney Productions, and I can completely see why they went with Fantasia after after this one because this is already such a kind of a magical joyride. It feels like a dream. I guess somebody would like to analyze it to hell and then argue if it's actually a dream or. But yeah, Evergreen songs and uh, for those pre-Fantasia vibes, Pinocchio. It's it's iconic. Certainly, it's old. It's showing its age. Not a problem in my books. So, if you're into classical Disney, definitely take a look. If you already haven't for some reason,
1: yeah. Uh, talk about weird, and uh, also having a good music. Guess what? I watched Pinocchio.
0: <laughs> oh <Christ> my! <almighty. laughs> let's hear all about it.
1: Yeah, let's. Uh, so I, yeah, I, I checked out the What is Now of the uh, Guillermo del Toro's stop motion animation version of of pinocchio and a glowing recommendation on my end it's not perfect film but it's pretty damn good one it's more darker but not any less stranger take on on pinocchio material this one Blatantly b- puts itself during the Second World War in Italy. The thing here is that the, the Gebetto, the old man who, who makes Pinocchio, he loses his family in an air raid bombing to a church and he loses his son. The wife's dead already. And that kind of breaks him and he turns into this, this bitter alcoholic who takes pinocchio and and carves him out of out of the wood. it's a it's a kind of an act of resentment from him he blames the tree for what happened to the to, to his son he he kind of the whole act of making pinocchio is like you you took my son no gonna give him back to me god damn and he chops down mm-hmm. the, the, the the tree and and carves pinocchio and Basically, Pinocchio is meant to be like this broken man's attempt to to have like something that he could pretend would be his son. Geppetto is not nearly open to the idea of a talking wooden boy as he is in Disney version. He's more like, why can't you be like my son? You are a failure. (laughs) At the same time, fascism is happening in Italy. Uh, Pinocchio is is being recruited to the circus and serve Italy's fascist propaganda, etc. etc. It's a really weird take on the subject matter. Uh, It kind of balances itself at times a bit weirdly. Like, you have really dark stuff, like, for example, all the, the, the fascism and, you know, child soldier, uh, soldiers and stuff like that. And then you still have, like, you know, the, the goofy comedic antics from the Disney Disneyverse. And the-, the film does not have a really, like, long excavation on what, Actually, fascism in and how fascism works, but I do still appreciate that the film went there. I really do like, like if, if you are doing a different take on a known tale, like Pinocchio, then go wild. and second thing that I really do like is is the su- music here. It's not a sing-along song-esque like is the, the the Disney version. But this one does have music from Alexandre Desplat. The, he has made, made music for Last Caution, The Shape of Water. Like the music, also a hell of a lot of work was done in the animation department. Like, absolutely crazy amount of work. It's stop it's motion animation, so yeah. Check out, you know, Delta Rose Pinocchio. And in here you get really good, really fluid... Stop motion animation. It's its kind of like Velazen comet dear here. So it's its really incapable hands. And we don't get too much. We don't get too much stop motion animation in my opinion. We also don't get too much weird dark takes on known properties. Like Disney also made, made God and Pinocchio movie. And it's a boring ass CGI puppet. And Tom Hanks in fake mustache. But that—that's what you usually get, and here you get something—something something quite different. So check it out. It's on Netflix, so it's practically free. To keep it somewhere in the territory of of animation, I check out Creepshow, the TV series. Psych. It's not just movies on my list.
0: So does it have anything to around? do with the Creepshow movie uh, of yesteryears?
1: It does. It's an. It's an. Indirect sequel, to that like like the original creep show, that from nineteen eighty two. It, it was an anthology film, and and so so were the two sequels that that one got. So it's a it's a trilogy of anthologies, and now we have a TV series that has the same name, and once again it's an it's an anthology. Every episode is like two stories, really short stories. may, may I add, but. It's actually I was really hesitant to watch it. I was really careful walking into it, but and part of that is that I'm kind of I have mixed feelings about the creep show movies. I don't think the first one is like this this masterpiece of of horror films i I think that it's pretty okay and some stories are really good, but it, it's kind of a mixed bag to me. Yeah. And, and it, I really don't care about the two sequels. Creepshow 2 is still kind of relatively okay. And the Creepshow 3 is cheaply made cashing. in they like, oh my god, stab me in the goddamn eyeballs. Ugly and amateuristic. And it's like, ah, uh, absolutely the worst. So I was hesitant walking into Creepshow, the TV series. But... It did win me over. I'm actually quite, can't say blown away, but I'm pleasantly surprised by what we got. It's really surprisingly good TV show. It's not a masterpiece. The stories are really short. They are very simple. Turn on the door straight to the point. Let's stick with it. So it's not like you're going to have a huge revelation watching it and it's not something that you absolutely would have to watch so a really low budget but surprisingly effective I must say and I I do think that if if you are someone who who is interested about different forms of of storytelling or you are someone who who is making you know short videos or, or something like that. I, I do think that you would benefit from checking out Creep Show, the TV series, and seeing like different ways how you can cheap out in your storytelling and also like for example pick expensive uh, uh, SFX things, etc. Otherwise I do think that it's enjoyable little horror TV show. So yeah, I'm I'm As surprised as I guess everyone else also. But I actually recommend Creepshow, the TV series.
0: Wow. As you're going to notice throughout the evening, there's going to be a lot of Tom Cruise here. Because we did watch with my boyfriend the Mission Impossible franchise in its entirety. And then we decided, okay, we're not quite done with the Cruister yet. So we continued with some films like Jack Reacher from 2012. Well, I've seen this before, and I could say that I've seen it also before I saw it, because there's literally nothing new. It's a pretty decent execution of a film of this type. There's this cliché of an unstoppable action hero, and he is more human than most superheroes here, when you're thinking about something like caricature, Arnold Schwarzenegger character. Or something like that. It's not like that. There is more to the character and actually the character of Reacher is somewhat interesting. This is a character based on books. The premise is kind of like we're gonna follow this plot of following something illegal that happens in the military. There's drugs smuggled or whatever and in the midst of this all there is this friend of Jack Reacher's or rather like an old colleague They're not in good terms. But he is blamed for the murder of a certain someone. But it turns out that uh, yeah, it's a little bit something else. Uh, Mostly it's quite predictable. I'm not sure even why Tom Cruise wanted to do this exactly. Well, I mean it's an interesting character for him, but otherwise the story is just stock material to me. Like I just don't know why this film exists. They could have done A pretty good execution with this kind of a character, this kind of a loner character who is just somewhere in the woods probably eating cans of tuna and three bananas every day. A kind of a guy who doesn't want to be part of society, who just likes to stay at a distance, an ex-military guy, you know. He knows all the ways on how to survive in the wilderness, blah, 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 and can kung fu your ass at any second. That kind of thing, and that that extremely high level of of assertiveness, uh, the kind of guy who has convinced that at least himself that he can get his ass out of any situation that will be thrown at him. It's it's a dud. No recommendation.
1: Okay, I always like the first, Jack Reacher. Okay. Did not really care about the, the sequel? and I, That was dog shit. And the TV series was okay. But the first one, in my opinion, was pretty solid going. And I kind of liked Jack Reacher as a character. Even though it's blatantly obvious which type of a over-fantastic male wishful filament Jack yeah. Reacher is. It's kind of a... like. I think Jack Reacher as a character is kind of dog shit, but he's kind of fascinating to to study and look at from, from mm. a critical perspective. And to kind of look at like what, how hard Lee Child is trying to wrap your sensitive male eco testicles there with, with, with Reacher. It's. They're, they're the stories, in my opinion, Jack Reacher's stories are okay at best, dog shit at worst but Reacher is kind of a, like like a fascinating thing to look at from a certain perspective just trying to figure out what the fuck is going on with him
0: yeah, well let's talk about the sequel now that we are here because I did watch the sequel as well Jack Reacher never go back Yeah.
1: <laughs> should have taken its own advice
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly Yeah, in one sense it's more of the same in some respects, maybe an evolution, but then the little evolution that there might be is hurt by some stupid plot elements like the annoying kid and her abysmal decisions. Yeah,
1: who constantly gets the Jack Reacher in trouble because she makes like the worst decisions. right. Like the the first call of the movie from Reacher should have been put a cap on the kid's ass. Yeah. dump the body somewhere and solve the
0: mystery. And the whole side plot there. Is Jack Reacher the father of this kid or is Jack Reacher not the father of this child? I don't give a fuck. Um,
1: Yeah. I I remember seeing the second one also and I got the impression that not just you, but also Tom Cruise himself, didn't give a fuck.
0: <laughs> well, that's that's the character thing, uh, but the, the the plot is in some ways similar and uninteresting. It's again about some military plot where. What was it? There's a betrayal slash corruption slash smuggling going on in the army and somebody betrays everybody and shoots the soldiers at the, wherever the US is today taking over. And yeah, then Jack Reacher is basically there to save the day and solve the whole mess. I was kind of into it semi. I just like, is this the best that you got? Pardon, but there's nothing, nothing really that that something that really pulls me into this movie plot wise.
1: Yeah, talking about contrived plot elements. I checked out Don't Breathe 2, which is a sequel to Don't Breathe. Surprise surprise, and it was a weird experience. So let me tell you that much. Like Don't Breathe uh, was a home invasion horror film that came out in in 2016, and the thing, the twist with Don't Orchan Don't Breathe was that it, in fact, it was the person whose home was being invaded. That was the threat and the bad guy. And the robbers, the home invaders, were the ones who had to fight in order to keep their lives in the situation. They became the victims. So, uh, and so it was like this blind dude who, well, can't talk about the sequel... Without spoiling the major twist of the first one. Are you ready, Corey? Let's go. Here goes. The blind dude is some type of military ultra killer badass who also abducts ladies. To forcibly impregnate them. Yeah. So he had a daughter once got run over. The lady doing the, the running over got nothing because... You know, powerful parents, so blind dude kidnapped her, and now he's using his semen. Basically raping her, but saying that it's not rape, because not technically penis. Some mind-bending logic shits, and the whole thing with, with the blind dude is that he really wants a new daughter. So, don't breathe too. Blind dude has a daughter. And it's an action movie now. Who would have thought? Uh, so it's a it's a really weird twist on not not just on the genre, from home invasion horror film to a home invasion action movie. But more than that, it's a really tw- strange twist on the blind dude as well. Uh, you may be wondering like you have a serial rapist killer blind dude, how the hell are you gonna make a sequel with him? Well, apparently the magic sauce is make the blind dude the good guy. And you may be thinking about well, how the hell are you gonna make a as the good guy? Well, the, uh, apparently the magic sauce is just don't mention the rape in the previous film. Don't mention the kidnapping in the previous film. Just allude to it in really roundabout way. Like somehow, somewhere, sometime I made something bad. <laughs> Never explain what that was, and also make everybody else a horrible person too. So in Don't Breathe Two, he has abducted someone else's kid, and now he's growing that child. The kid can't go to school, but it's it's okay because you know he blinded teaches uh, teaches her. Or the other really important stuff like survival and and some Delta Force ninja squad shit and, and stuff like that. So it's really wholesome relationship that they have. Trust me, bro. The parents get their daughter back, but... In order to kind of absolve the blind dude rapist man, the parents are absolutely shitty meth trucking pings. You, you got nothing there, because it gets even worse... Turns out that the only reason why the parents wanted their, their daughter back is because all oh, the meth cooking has caused the mom a heart problem and they need like a surrogate heart. <laughs> and that's the way, that's the way how you can turn a blind rapist kidnapper into an action hero, apparently. Overall, the, the film is, it's, it's pretty okay action thriller. It's like an okay, okay dark action film. But if you've seen the first one, if you know what the blind man is, it's going to feel a hell of a strange... So I kind of like... I, I, I don't recommend Don't Breathe too. but if you... It's not a masterpiece, even without all the blind dude package. It, it's kind of okay. Yeah, fuck it, no recommendation.
0: Well, sounds like it requires some brain gymnastics to watch the film... And speaking of gymnastics, this could go either way. Maybe you are rather thinking about the gymnastics involved with martial arts or the gymnastics of how an American guy can be in the center of all of this. Well, I guess it's a point of debate. Here is The Last Samurai, 2003. And I remember looking at this poster back in 2003 at the metro stations in Helsinki, and I I got this irritated feeling. So so Tom Cruise is now the last samurai, obviously. Obviously, yes, right, right, right. So I was hugely skeptical. Uh, Then I went to see it in 2003, and I was mostly shockingly positively surprised. It's, well, first technically, gorgeously shot. It has a absolutely terrific soundtrack from Hans Zimmer. I did feel uneasy about, you know, Cruise, well, spoilers, spoilers, outlasting everyone and then being, in fact, the last samurai, as you can figure out from the goddamn title. But but I also did feel uneasy about Cruise's character, Algren, having so much influence over Gatsumoto at places maybe it shows its age a little bit i mean i mean releasing something like this now 20 years later ooh uh, mm, no no not going to happen but, but 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 this film like i think it's really a really truly a touching film it's about how two completely different cultures are able to come together in the film they are Able to overcome their differences. I mean, I'm speaking of Algren and and the village of Samurais. And they can see eye to eye. Okay, this is just a dude. I'm just a dude. Hey ho. And there's a lot under the hood, I feel. If, if you're willing to see it. Then there is this Algren's persistence and fortitude. Tom Cruise seems to love these kind of characters. His indifference towards the authority and all the references to mastering One's concentration, which I guess indirectly drove me into meditation and all that it was really pulling me in that whole whole idea of of you know having so intense concentration that uh, you can shut out all the noise around you and just concentrate on on the battle and just bring your everything and and the whole culture of you know obviously this movie is a bit like. ...bringing out all the best parts of that kind of a... ...of this kind of a culture... ...and that may be a problem as well... ...but yeah, I really like that... ...it's kind of the new world versus the old world... ...obviously the the modern weapons... ...versus the old style of just going with your sword... ...and I don't really necessarily see that the problem of... ...having like a western guy... ...as part of the the samurai... ...that's... it. ...it works because the whole story is, is surrounded by, by the fact that this guy from the get-go is, is a guy who is frustrated with his existence. He is frustrated by uh, all the you know gymnastics around him, that he's just a, kind of a gun for hire. And he is drinking, he's an alcoholic, but then he f- finds these guys in a remote village. He kind of becomes... Accustomed to being surrounded by 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 the basics of 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 life, like the the whole culture and and passion towards doing everything which you with your heart and and doing everything as best as you could possibly muster. The whole Japanese thing of bringing perfection into everything that you do. So uh, definitely a recommendation. I could go on and on, but let's leave it at that. Next, I guess we're gonna stick with the with the animated films, like, let's go check out some Snow White from 1937. Yeah, by today's standards, of course, it's a little old-fashioned, not only by the language, but the, the, the pacing and the story, because we've seen this kind of a story a million times. At the time this was made, it was, uh, it's a, it was like a brand new, in a way, that it, it I think, it, in its length, it was something really special back in the day. They were even planning to make it even longer than it is to, today or as it came out, but you know, they, they skipped a couple of parts and uh, it already took several years to animate the goddamn thing. But it's still fascinating due to its artwork and I think it's still some of the best of Disney. It's, it's dreamy, it's beautiful, great songs. I think it's important to see uh, probably some people are still going to be bothered a little by the operatic voice of the snow white actress but um hey, it's a it's a classic the simple snow white story that we we all know and uh, if you're looking for any dark aspects <laughs> you know I, I think this is a pretty soft movie I don't know about your kids and your kids today How they're exposed to In different kinds of media That would be interesting to know I, I know that as a kid Yeah it was Kind of a Creepy scary movie at times <laughs> But uh, Yeah Anyway Snow White Of course Recommendation
1: I don't remember is, is there a moment In in Snow White Where Maleficent Asks Powers from Satan
0: Um, uh, Don't recall I, I think I didn't oh, okay, see that Okay part. yeah there is also not not that part where the prince comes by the castle while Snow White is singing to the well, and then introduces himself by singing, and the Snow White runs to the castle, and the prince starts screaming in death metal, his love song.
1: Yeah, I I heard rumors that that old Walt demanded that to be cut from from the film.
0: Yeah, if you need if you need to see that cut out scene, you can see it on YouTube.
1: Yeah. But you know, you know. Sp- speaking, of, speaking of different versions of Snow White, I I checked out the porn parody where the prince comes in and fucks the Snow White in her asshole. <laughs> it, it, it was it was a bit weird, but different take on a classic fable. <laughs> <laughs> kind of recommend it.
0: All right, let's leave it at this for now. We will continue our recommendations and grievances in the in the next one so stay tuned it's going to be out pretty soon uh, yeah we just yeah. talk talk way too much and hence this new format where we kind of have more <laughs> episodes for you
1: the, the yeah. next comment from the audience will be the get to the next topic guys
0: yeah all right if you thought that this content was valuable you can rate us on apple podcasts or you can share this episode with a friend of yours who might also be interested in this kind of a dribble. We're also on social media. You can find us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram and all the usual. And we are also available on Library, L-B-R-Y. So, in the next episode, we'll continue this. Thank you for tuning in. See you soon. Talk to you later.
1: Until then. Today's episode's sponsor is Loot Crate. The business model is so bad that even it itself couldn't stay afloat and has been dead for now, what, two
0: years? Yeah, okay, th- then we don't need to, you know, retract that comment.
1: No, not, not at all. In, in fact, it went so badly that they, in my opinion, they should have branded themselves as a loot, loot coffin. <laughs> That'd be more accurate.